0: Okay. It happens
1: here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves.
0: Merely a two-word review it just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last minute. That right like, there he is a lot, lot of that. Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here. I'm, the I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. So happy to have you hanging out here with us in our little tiny shack just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I uh, Today's show is great. This whole week is going to be great. We've got a couple of normal like album stuff that we're going to be talking about, but two conversations in particular. I'm going to be talking with Chris Rosenau, who uh, sort of lives down the street from me now. His excellent album uh, with Nick Sanborn, Rosenau, and Sanborn's Bluebird came out last year. We loved it. If you haven't heard it, please uh, do that now. But also, we're going to um, talk to a guy right now who has been in the music industry forever and is is integral to uh, to that project, amongst many others. Mr. Rusty Sutton. He is a um, you know old school like sound guy. Uh, tour manager and everything. He was Sylvanessa's first tour manager. Uh, him and uh, his his partner in this business, Martin Anderson, started a company in Durham, a management company called The Glow. It is built on sustainability. It is built on uh, supporting the artists. It is built on on looking forward uh, to a more uh, equitable music industry that they are a part of, and they aren't waiting for anybody else to do it for them. Uh, it's it's remarkable what they've done uh, so far down there and remarkable what they're going to do in the future, I think. But you're going to hear us talk about all that and a little Marshall Tucker, too. So that's what we're going to be doing today. If you guys are all set, all comfortable already, and that is uh, in your wheelhouse of things you're interested in, I say we head out to the internet and catch up with uh, Mr. Sutton. So here we go. I'm going
1: to get on my head, get back to Tennessee, love.
0: We can start by talking about uh but four times uh Marshall Tucker because I know <laughs> <laughs> I know that's why you you were like, dude, you should have dialed me in, so
1: first of all, first of all, did we get it right? do you think uh yeah, it's 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 uh, so yes, the Marshall Tucker band, I have this weird experience, so my parents are um. Like, I'm from Western North Carolina. Marshall Tucker Band is from the upstate of South Carolina. So, just like, just over the border from us. And m- my parents are f- like former bikers. It was like this era where bikers and hippies kind of like ran together in their world. And then when I think, when I think the biker world became more about like, like organized crime and like there was a little bit more of a violence to it Uh, my parents got out of that scene and uh, their old biker buds are always the ones that i think of when i think about marshall tucker band because that's who they they would go see mtv with all the time
0: yeah it's so funny because like you know i grew up in the south too i was in southwest virginia Mm -hmm. And um, you you didn't get uh, a lot of that up there, uh, really. Where I was, I was in Lynchburg. But um, the bands that if I went to people's houses, especially like in high school, the the redder the neck, the more the Marshall Tucker Band was getting played. Sure, and it was sure. great, and and it, and it was you know, and "Heard It in Love Song" was on the radio all the time. But yeah. it was just like, yeah, I was like, what is this shit? This shit jams. <laughs> and it was, and 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 the reason we kept going back to it is because. It was – it just – like we said when we talked about it, it, you dig deeper and you understand, like, how fucking shit hot this band was. Yeah. Like, they were just – they are
1: fucking phenomenal. Yeah, and I think, like, like my dad was a musician that kind of ran in that scene a little bit, like – and it's all just bar band stuff. And it's all about, like, just, like, exceptional musicianship and, like, how long of a set you can play and how good of a party you can throw. And, like, yeah, I think those guys – those guys were kind of the king of that scene. Um, Alabama, like I think they cut, oh, yeah. they cut their teeth in that world in a big way. Like my dad, my dad did like, you know, would like lived in Myrtle Beach for a couple summers and just like did like backline tech, essentially worked for Alabama and like that. That was just they were just a bar band. They just like hung out, like they played at one bar five nights a week and just like three hour sets and like like that was the world. It was like the like independent music world before. You know punk rock
0: yeah because they have like one or two songs on the radio but they've also they have like a catalog of like 50 songs deep
1: mm-hmm. yeah and covers and all and, bands. yeah and
0: covers yeah and they could just play forever uh you know i guess the modern grateful dead were sort of like that modern like i guess mode of that is is obviously fish you know they used to be have to, to get the gig they had to play like three and a half four hours yeah and that's why they can do it now and it's just like a type of thing that we don't see uh too much although i see it more in the midwest I don't know. I didn't see it in DC. Uh, I don't know about Durham, um, but uh, but I haven't really seen it thriving that much. Uh, I don't know in the past decade or so. Just, uh, but bands are certainly working hard. Um, so th- this actually makes a lot of sense uh, because you are, for people who don't know, uh, you're one of the primaries at the Glow Management, but you've also sort of shepherded people like Phil Cook and Sylvanesso. Uh, helped out with their success in a, in a very major way. You, uh, you've been on the road with these guys for how long?
1: I was still an assist tour manager, um, for just, just over five years. I was their first crew hire. I worked in clubs here in the triangle for a long time, just doing sound and Phil was in megaphone of course. And that was a big band for, for our whole scene. Um, and then, you know, off of that, Phil Cook and the Guitar Heels, and then also his Golden Messenger. And I never, I don't think I ever actually toured with Phil, but um, just because of our connection, like I always like mixed his hometown shows. And, you know, when Eau Claire got off the ground, like I would be up at Eau Claire, like mixing all of the North Carolina bands. So I mixed a lot of shows for Phil there. And, you know, it was just, I like, you know, Martin, my, my, my colleague Martin at the Globe, like we, you know, for a long time, it was just the two of us at our company and, and so it was literally. Like, we've always had like a all hands on deck kind of feel because, you know, like we're both former tour managers, and so it's it's always just like, whatever's got to get done, it's got to get done. So yes, yeah, so for a long time, if like if Phil was Phil was playing a show that like a lot of people were going to be at, and like we really wanted it to be dialed right, yeah, I mean like I would just I would just do it, and I was always really happy to get an opportunity to do it because Phil's one of like, the best live performers of our generation.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you guys were in Asheville originally, right? I think that's where I first. uh we first came in contact.
1: Yeah, I was living in Nashville for a while. Um, Martin's always been in, for the most part, in Durham. Um, we were essentially working remotely for a long time. You know, just I worked out of the basement of this club there called the Moth Light that I helped some friends open. And um, I was living in Nashville for about five years and then moved back to the Triangle um, in 2018, so two years ago.
0: Yeah, it seems right. When when did you decide to make the jump from you, you were running sound and stuff for all this stuff? When were you looking at I mean like, you know what, what if we took a, a bigger stake in this like management managing people, like you said
1: tour managing people, getting out on the road and stuff like that? Yeah, I was the club guy for a long time and then started touring and tour managing and just kind of like hit this stride. Martin and I were working with a lot of the same people and um, uh, when Sylvanesso Esso became, you know, kind of kind of started Uh, I was tour managing and Martin was managing them. And again, it was just because of the way things were set up at the time, it was the two of us and I was handling everything about like, you know, the touring entity and he was handling everything else. And then I think when the first album cycle ended, um, I mean, we are just, our lives had become so entwined at that point. And we'd been working together on different things for 10 years, but never anything quite like that um that we were just like like we just have to formalize this and it just has to be the thing and at the time he was working for a company called middle west management it was based in minneapolis and they um they they were like so gracious and came to me at the end of the silvanessa cycle and when, when i was kind of like starting to look for other touring gigs and we're like uh don't do that uh, just stay where you are and like you know they offered me a job uh on martin's staff like full time and so i started like kind of from there learning more and more of the ropes of like um you know things outside of the the world of touring and yeah so that i've been in management ever since and and through the second sylvanesso album cycle i continued to tour manage them uh as their crew built out and then um yeah uh i think october of 2018 was my last show as a tour manager so yeah for the last two years i've been just just managing
0: When all that was happening, um, because I know like I met up with Nick and Amelia just at like a restaurant in D.C., and it it had to have been you. I didn't know you at this point shipping them like shirts. I don't (laughs) even know if you were in town. then. Um, But but they're like, holy shit, we don't have our shirts. And and what was uh, kind of uh, great about all that was how uh, how homegrown it was. Yeah how it really was, like, you guys in a car, How and how it seems, is the focus for what you've done with The Glow uh, and not just Sylvan or like all the other bands on there, like, uh has it always been about sustainability? Because you guys, like, for example, you just released the With film, and then the next day, you dropped the With album. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a little math, and so you've got, you know, a thousand copies of vinyl, double vinyl that sold out in two hours uh, for 45 bucks. That's not bad for two hours work. I know a lot more (laughs) more went into it, but but, you know, that, that's, that's, that, that, that was, uh, I I said to a friend of mine, like that's called like planning like a long way. Well,
1: um, well, I mean, yeah, we with specifically was, was definitely a long, I mean, as we started putting that tour together, I think we all kind of realized, like, this This is such a unique thing that the, the group of people who were going to be playing together on that, you know, we, we couldn't miss the opportunity to document it just because who knew if it would ever be able to happen again. I mean, we spent the better part of a year putting the tour together and then, you know, six months putting the film and album together. And it, it's it, it really was just, um, we just cherished the experience of getting to do that thing that we didn't want to do it and not have, like some sort of documentation, even if it just like lived on our hard drives <laughs> forever, you know, we just, you know, it's it just, it, it, we couldn't, we couldn't not. So yeah, I mean, fortunately it, it turned out really great and like, we were all super, super proud of it, but I don't think that would have changed the calculus on whether or not we documented it. Um, To your, to your first question, I think, um, yeah, I mean, uh, for, for both Martin and I, like this whole thing is about, um in a lot of ways rebuilding an identity for the music industry, uh, uh, specifically for the the kind of like corner of it that we occupy. Um, And, 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 you know, specifically about artist management, I think a lot of people have this like pretty, you know, understandably earned um, reputation um, for artist managers. And I think that, um, you know, we, we, and I, I experienced that as a sound person, like a lot of people have like, kind of built in expectations of sound people and so like um i think for us it's it's a lot about like a like trust like everybody that we work with we love they're our friends we truly truly believe in everything that they do and and you know fortunately we've never really had to make a decision uh for money we try to learn lessons we try to watch what other people do and try to learn lessons from what other people do both both good and bad and 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 you know, it's, it's, it's really just like, we're very fortunate, you know, we've gotten, we've gotten lucky on a lot of things, but, um, you know, it, was, it really is like, it just comes down to a work ethic of like, you know, we're trying to make something honest. We're very focused on longevity. We're very focused on catalog building. We're very focused on like, you know, like the reputation that, that both our artists and, and their fans have of, you know, as far as an expectation of us. So like, yeah, I mean, like, it it it's crazy how easy it is to just like walk through this industry and and not be just a, a stone cold asshole to everybody that you meet. And it, it's it's amazing, but it's 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 just like a thing. And like by doing that, like I think that we've gotten we've we've had a lot of fortune.
0: Well, yeah, and I, and I think that's uh, that's sort of what I'm talking about. That shows you know what you guys the Durham family down there is strong. Yeah, but you also you just open up a glow store serviced by like Ambien Inks up here in Wisconsin. You know, this these these connections aren't uh, aren't random. First of all, but they're also um, they are aren't like huge. You know, you're not you didn't go for some like giant distributor. Uh, you went through somebody you knew and are supporting it like that. The events, if every time if I look at a calendar what's going on in Durham or I look on Twitter and I see something and you guys like extended family doing something and it seems like everybody is supporting that.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: and not only that, it's, and, and and a lot of times it's supporting the community. So it's not, it's not just a gig. It's not just like, you know, Daughter of Swords has a show. It's like a whole thing that we can like for not just the music, but a whole lot of other aspects of it. And that, I mean, I think people do take notice of that. I took notice of it.
1: Yeah. I, I'll say this. Like a, th- a thing that I, I realized really early on in touring, and, and Martin and I have talked a lot about this, and Nick and Amelia have talked a lot about this as well, is that is once you get out there and you start seeing the way that a lot of music scenes function um, – There's a, I mean, this is, this is just the the nature of our, of our society, but there's a lot of tribalism. And that was, that was like in some ways shocking to me coming from the Chapel Hill music scene. And like, this isn't due to us. Like I think that like our forebears had a lot to do with, you know, like the people from, from merge and, 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 uh, you know, and that whole scene, like, it's like, but the thing is that, that they're really good about doing is like, is refusing to put up boundaries between the different portions of the scene. So when I, you know, worked at the at the Cat's Cradle, like, you'd see, you'd see, like, metal heads at the folk rock shows. You know, like, you'd see, like, big, like, you know, pearly-chested, tattooed metal dudes at the Megaphone shows. And then you'd see Brad and Phil at Reservoir after that, watching, like, some, like, weird, like, thrash metal band playing that night. And, like, maybe it was their thing, maybe it wasn't, but it was, like, there was no there was no like defined separation of like, Oh, you guys go do this thing. You guys go do this thing. Like we were all kind of like dapping each other up, like all along and you'd go into these other music communities and you realize like, Oh, like there's, there's none of that, like cross pollination. There's not like the guy who plays bass in the, you know, Americana band and the reggae band and the indie rock band, like, which is like just commonplace here, you know? So, and, and the thing that, I think that that connectivity that you're talking about, like to the Midwest was a thing, you know, like, I think that's, that's an energy that, especially in Eau Claire and in in Milwaukee and in Minneapolis and Chicago that we, we recognized in, 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 in friends, would go out into the world and be like, Oh, like, like we kind of like ride the same wavelength. We we speak the same language because of that kind of like that communal, you know, atmosphere. And, you know, a, a thing like, Martin and I kind of talk a lot about um, which is kind of kind of uh, in some ways core to the, the brand of our company is that, you know, we don't, we don't work with bands. We work with with people. Um, You know, we have like 13 clients, but I think we actually only represent like six or seven people because like everybody plays in each other's bands. Everybody has like multiple projects. Um, But it's like, we're all friends. Like we're all just like, we're all just like celebrating each other's work all the time because, you know, Phil, Phil put out a, a bunch of live, Uh, bootlegs today for band camp day yeah yeah they're awesome and i don't think that anybody necessarily across the roster really knew we were working on that but then like you go log into instagram today and it's like you know nick Sanborn and and alexandra from daughter swords they're all like oh look phil put these bootlegs up like i'm gonna go check them out and it's like yeah like that like (laughs) we live in a pretty dark time and so like just being able to check in and see some people like lending some positivity into the universe is a thing that like is, is, is a pretty swell way to start your day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, Phil's broadcast on Sunday morning. is a good, <laughs> good way to do that. The first time I saw that, I just, I just died laughing and uh, Daria knows him too. And we, she just walked out. And she's like, he never takes off that jean jacket, man. No, no.
1: Phil's a true, true original man. Like there's, and it's like everything about him is like out there. Like you, you like everything that you guys that people experience like on the on the web and in his shows and like it's like you get on phone calls with Phil and it's it's that like he's he's true truly who he is and he's just such an original I just yeah it's a good energy I'm glad that he's he's found a way to get that into people's people's homes on Sunday mornings
0: when when we when we actually first moved here to Milwaukee we met him and he introduced me to uh, Rosenau, Chris. Mm-hmm. And and he didn't say anything. He just said, oh, he's this musician. And then he spent like 30 minutes telling me how great Chris was. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah. And then he went up and played a show with Charlie Parr. And yeah. Chris is great. Chris is fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it was, it was uh, yeah, it's just this positive energy that doesn't just radiate from Phil, but comes from, I think, all you guys and what you're doing. And it's important and it's different uh, than what you see. You know, with the community stuff, one thing I noticed when I moved here we uh, we put down roots about three blocks, two and a half blocks from this place called the Cactus Club. You know where it is, but uh, it's a remarkable uh, venue. I can say this having been in venues for a lot of my life. Uh, it's probably the best I've ever been in uh, for a number of reasons. But even before it changed ownership uh, and before these new realities, the first show I went there – was an all-ages show of uh, basically all black youth on a Thursday night, um, all high school kids, mm-hmm. and in a town that runs on beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just walked in, and I'm like, wait a minute. This club could anywhere else go under for this, and and they're doing this because it's good for the community. Like, what is that? And it, and it, and it made me think of Durham, honestly. It made me think, oh, Wow. And then when I found out there was a connection, I was like, "Oh shit! Okay, this is, is, is going to make all the sense." Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, Cactus Club is, is it is I mean, that, it is that thing. It's it. It's it's weird. Well, you know, you go through like the like kind of mid to low tier uh, indie rock clubs in America, and it, it's a mixed bag. You know, everybody kind of approaches it differently, but the ones that really stand out are the ones like Cactus Club that function more of like a community center than they do. Um, yeah. A place where people go and get get wrecked and watch music. Um, the Cactus Club. I, I've I've never been to a load in at Cactus Club where there wasn't at least a couple people at the bar watching a baseball game at three o'clock in the afternoon. Nope. Um, yep. You know the the bartenders, the door staff, the sound person they all they're all like thrilled to be there. I mean, it's like everybody has like their own dispositions, but like you know, you play a show to like fifteen people at the Cactus Club. And at very least, the bartender when you sit down after it is going to be like it was a good one like a drink. you know like every, everybody there is like stoked to occupy that space of like that musical landscape and and you know i've never lived in milwaukee but i have so many friends who who do and they all like cherish that place so much and it's like such a it's such an institution for for that whole community it's an anchor it is absolutely and like i grew up in a town uh, here in North Carolina, Asheville that like never, never really had that when I was growing up. And like, that was a, that was a big part of why I moved to Chapel Hill for college was that, you know, when I did like, you know, visits around the state, um, you know, going to campus at Chapel Hill and seeing, and I was like into, into rock music and we would, there would be clubs that would pop up here and there that would let underages in, but then they, you know, be vanquished by the, local tax laws and you know whatever um but uh yeah i mean like you go to chapel hill and you're like oh like there's this place it's the cat's cradle it's all ages every telephone pole on unc's campus has flyers for shows that the cat's cradle hung up like you look at that and you just go oh like these people are trying to make sure that art is part of people's lives from an early age and the same with the cactus club you know it's like that like the people who go there it is it is a prominent part of their lives. And it is a place that is available to them, you know, under certain circumstances as early as high school years. And like, that's, that's critical. That is a critical part of like handing off the musical torch to the next generation.
0: Yeah. And if you think about the the normal, like a uh, venue apparatus that's set up across the United States, like it, that's, that's rare. Yeah. yeah. And you, like you said, it is, people will just be in there like watching a Packers game. I would just, like, go to the grocery store and stop in and get a beer. And then, oh, there's a show tonight? Oh, I'll walk back down. It'll be fine. Or just, you know, that that type of – and that type of access to something like that is important for just old people like me but also kids um, because they get to see, like, all that. They get – and and they're, they're so uh, – that Steph, Kelsey Kaufman, is the person who owns it now, like, is so forward-thinking. Um, and to see them now have – all this great plans um, and be in the same boat as the the rest of all of us. But you guys, especially um, uh, what um, they're doing things like they're making merch. Uh, They're doing live streams, which everybody is doing. They've got, uh, they've got a bunch of plans coming up, Uh, passed them some stuff. I know uh, like Phil's wife was doing some stuff for North star Durham, made sure like Kelsey had that so they can talk about doing a show. But so where, where do we all in, from the, like the management perspective and knowing this industry for so long, where do you see us going <laughs> right now? Uh, because it doesn't seem like there's going to be like a let up anytime
1: soon. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's complicated. Like I, you know, my, uh, I've got good days and bad days when I try to think about this thing, but you know, I, th- I think the, the people in our industry that are most vulnerable are people like Kelsey or people like Frank Heath who owns the Cat's Cradle. I mean, I just saw today that Great Scott in Boston is closing and they've been open for 44 years. You know, it's like they, the people like who have been fighting the good fight and carrying the torch of independent music promotion for decades are the most vulnerable. Because that, you know, number one, it's a cash business. It's month to month often like they're not propped up by Live Nation or AEG. Like they are literally like keeping the lights on. I mean, like I've managed a bar that had 250 people in Ontario right now, like month to month, it's a question mark, you know? And, and so like, they're, they are are by far the most, one of the most vulnerable sets in our, in our industry. And like, it's, you know, we, we all have to work together to figure that out. And I think like the things like the live stream, you know, festivals and the live stream events, specifically honed towards towards the venues like i saw the thing that mark waldock was doing for cactus i'm like that's that's the vibe is like we have to keep we have to keep a spotlight on these places and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to support them support their staffs um kind of the bigger the bigger question there is what's next where do we go from here i mean honestly man like i don't think there's i don't think there's gonna be a new uh, like a, a return to normal any anytime soon i i I think about this like every day where I just like wake up and I read the, read the paper mostly for just to get some like new information about what's going on. And currently I don't think that we're doing anything that moves the needle towards being able to be in public spaces with hundreds of strangers in close contact. Like we're, we're not making those efforts, like opening barbershops and movie theaters and restaurants Even at like limited capacity, is that's that's just test pattern stuff. That's just us like trying to figure it out and like see if see what works and try to give some people some hope. But like the things that that broadly like you know as a society we need to do to to get to a place where we can all just go to a baseball game and 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 sit comfortably and not be wondering about the like the boogeyman floating around in the air. Like that's that's just we're not there yet. So a buddy that I was talking to about this actually earlier today brought up this interesting point. It's like, it's like when you go to somebody's house and you play Monopoly with them and you learn, figure out that they have a different set of rules than you do. That's, that's where we're at right now. It's like, somebody's like yeah, going to pick up all the cash from the middle of the table. And you're going like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. like, what are you doing? Oh, I just landed on free parking. You're like, Oh, this is like a weird rule that you have that I don't have and now I have to like figure out how to like completely reform my plan around this new rule. That's what we're doing right now. It's like it's really easy to get bogged down on trying to figure out like, okay, when do we when do we get to go back to doing what we do what we know how to do? The 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 way that we're trying to approach this right now is like treating it more like a creative exercise. So it's like, okay, well, like what are the new rules? How do we not only survive in them, but like how do how do we work them to our advantage how do we make our clients connection to their fans as strong as it was when they were able to invite them into public spaces to play music for them because that's all this thing is like like you know broadly music is about communication and it's about connection it's about sharing a story or um an experience that that we can all connect with in like this kind of bigger way um and th- that doesn't go away with, with, you know, quarantine. Like you just creates a new set of circumstances in which you have to figure out how to do it. And so, unfortunately, like all of our clients are um, super responsive to that and like open to the challenge, like thinking really creatively right now, but just for like that baseline human connectivity thing, like we gotta be, we gotta be here for each other. And that goes beyond like our, our small communities It goes out into the world of the people who are out there just like, just, yeah, just trying to get through the day and like, what can you do to like provide some positivity into that, into that ecosystem?
0: Yeah, no, it, again, it is all about positivity. I think, you know, today is Bandcamp day. So you, you know, Bandcamp gave up their shares. That's an amazing thing. And you saw a bunch of labels do like, they're like, you know what? We're just going to do it because they figured out um, these are forward thinking people. Uh, these are uh, they figured out how to be against sustainable and stuff. But I, I think, you know, the Gross way in which, not just music but art has ultimately become commodified, unavoidable. But it is what it is. But it's it's like this is kind of forcing a reevaluation of how we value art and how we value certain things. Like you said, the connection to mm-hmm. the arts. I agree. Uh, the connection to that music because they're not like any of the people on the Glow's roster is not going to. Uh, Stop making art. They're humans. Like they, they, they'll, they'll make the art regardless. They've, they, they, they've been lucky to do it well enough to get in a position where uh, they can make money at it. A lot of people don't, um, but they still also make art. And, and so it's the challenge that I see is figuring out how to convince people how important it is that you know you haven't bought your friend's single. Give them five bucks on Bandcamp if you can. If you can't it's a, especially now that's understandable, but like really like support in the in the model that we're in and and do it so it makes sense, but you you have to like support people you can't just high five them yeah <laughs> you know that because a high- five is great, a hug is great, but it's just it, it, it is like what is what is this actually worth if we can't take care of everybody, then everybody has to take care of each other.
1: Yeah, it's, it's odd. Like, um, I think, you know, we've been on this, this road for a while now of people becoming more and more passive about the way that they interact with music, you know, like, um, and, and there's a thousand factors that go into that. Like that, you know, the, the, it, it just, it, it just is what it is. Like I, you know, we could spend all day just like talking about like what led us to down that path. But I think like what we're experiencing right now is, is, you know, yeah, there's there's a reckoning in every market, in every industry, and people are really trying to figure out what what they value and what value they can assign to that thing. And so you know the thing that we're you know thinking long and hard about and like really working on with, when it comes to all of artists is how do we make sure that people still keep art, music, like connection to human beings? like how do we keep that, as a priority. And, and honestly though, you know, like, I don't think it's like that hard of a fight. Like people, people want music, people want new music. And, and maybe this is just like, like a confirmation bias from like the bubble that I run in, but like the positivity that you see around like Bandcamp day, around things like record store day getting rescheduled, you know, like the like people, people genuinely want this stuff in their lives, you know? And I think this is just like a part of like, you know, the long arc of humanity is just that like, people people want like to be comforted by that connection with other people and again like music at its core is about sharing that connection so i i, I think that like yeah like it, you know with 30 million americans going on unemployment right now like yeah it's there's going to be less money and there's you know, and you know every every industry is going to suffer because of it um you know one of those like again like creative exercise challenges that we've got in front of us now is like, how do we make sure that people continue to value art and, and continue to put whatever they can, they can, like whatever people are able to uh, towards, towards artists.
0: Yeah. And, and if like, you know, somebody who isn't able to, like you can share it with them. Like, that's not, not, not like Napster, but even though back in the day Napster was great. Yeah. I, you know, I'm seeing the two here, like in, in just in Bayview, the, uh, the restaurants uh, which is another vital, part of uh, human connection um, and uh, all these restaurants here quickly pivoted to a takeout model and then uh, curbside stuff and also like one even has like a little general store mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so if you if so if you're in this community and you're like I can't get out to say get toilet paper you can buy toilet paper from
1: there yeah yeah
0: yeah and, and it's and it's these like pivoting and stuff that we shouldn't necessarily have to do, but you can see the the positivity and the, uh, the kindness toward the community. And you want people, you want people like that in, not just in the community, I think nationwide, you want yeah. everybody to get like, find some kindness in them and understand that. Like, if you, if you just do that, we're going to be better off
1: for sure. Yeah. And I, and I think you see it like, you know, it's really easy to like get, get, tuned into the wrong parts of the news and like think that we're all like dividing yeah. each other. But like, I think honestly, like day to day, I feel like people are giving each other more space. They're, they're, they're really like giving people like the time and energy that they need in order to like get themselves together. And like, I, yeah. And, and ultimately like reaching out to help, like the thing that I've started noticing in our, in our community, when I go for drives, I think like, people putting up signs in front of their, from their houses, you know, with like, um, either a phone number or like a like a google form link of like uh you know resource sharing like what do you need let us know you know like i mean i i've I've gone through that with my friends here like we you know we go to costco once every two weeks or so and i'll just like send a text out and be like are people having trouble getting bread people having trouble getting flour like sugar whatever it is like let me know i'm going to a place that might have it and and you you see that like a lot and i think that like that yeah, like it starts in the communities, but I think ultimately, um I think we're at a, at a like a um a pivot point right now culturally where like we're just gonna start like gaining some ground back on the on the like just basic shared humanity tip. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's necessary. I, I don't wanna say, you know, people refer to this uh, stuff as like the Great Pause and and whatnot which is you know um on one hand yeah it is but on the other hand if you're like say a black family in the north side of milwaukee that's not really a nice that's not a good thing to say and and so and but it's understanding stuff like that understanding there's a uh a company here that was already doing food uh stuff for that community and uh they signed with jose andre andres is the mm-hmm. uh, the central kitchen yeah. stuff and now they're going to be doing that on a global scale and enter and, and you know so it's it's connecting, and that was just because a DJ here mm. said, hey, do you know about these guys? It's called Tandem, and I said, do you know about these people? Do you know about these people that connected them? And they're like, yes, this is how we do it. And um, just keep sort of connecting those branches and and making things stronger. And I think in the end, yeah, you'll come back and you can – uh, you can cry at the the back of the monitors at a Sylvanessa show, man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in twenty twenty one. Who's open, man. You I, know, I'm, I'm ready uh, um, for that one.
1: Ready for that good cry.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but you know w- when it comes when it does come out of it, does it look to you like uh the same scale? Or does it look like more intimate shows Does it look like smaller
1: shows, smaller venues? You know, it's hard to say. I think a lot of it rides on like the timing of a vaccine. I think there's, I think a lot hinges on like just getting people confident um, to be around strangers in close quarters. Um, I, I will say that there, you know, in my, the way that I'm looking at and planning out like 2020, 2021 into 2022, it's all about like kind of uh, preparing for a compression and like, there's a thousand factors that go into that. Like, you know, um, just like, like cash flow. like, you know, venues don't have the cash to like offer guarantees. Um, we're still waiting to see whether or not like individual states are going to come in and make a lot of venues, um, re- uh, reassess their capacities. You know, like th- there's, there's probably not going to be a lot of guarantees laid out on the table. It's going to be door deals. You know, there's like, there's just, there's a there's a there's a thousand things that are up in the air and like before we can even talk about whether or not it kind of ret- when it returns to the scale like we have to figure out like um what what the path forward to getting there is going to be like i do i do think that it will return to scale at some point like i do think that there will be a time when i get to go to coco booth and and watch jason Isbell play loud guitar songs and 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 sing along and like i, I look forward to that day um i think that that like it's going to take a, a long time to get to that point. So there's going to be like a lot of like small entry points. Um, and then, yeah. And then this vaccine question is kind of the the big one that in my mind, that gets us to a place where people feel confident going into those kinds of situations. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like I, we built it once so we'll build it again. You know,
0: that's, that's uh, yeah. That's, that's sort of the point. And you and, and you guys have built something uh, fantastic down there with the glow. Thanks, man. Uh, really, I mean it is it is you know in the almost ten years that we've been doing this, uh, I've dealt with a lot of the same people you have, and uh, and no and nobody's better. So, well, thanks, man. I
1: appreciate that.
0: Thanks for hanging out, Rusty. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. Come back and uh, finish this up. Huge thanks to Rusty uh, for hanging out and talking about that. I think, you know, it's probably been a couple years uh, in the making for when we should talk. I can't remember exactly what year I met Rusty, but it was immediately apparent. Um, and it was before the glow was actually a, a whole thing, uh, what they were doing. Uh, remarkable dude. And him and Martin have, have created a just a remarkable, remarkable thing down in Durham. Uh, helping out and being helped by all these people. If you want to check out more about that, uh, the Globe Management, uh, theglomgmt.com, you can go there and find out everything about them. Also, you, when you're there, you should check out all the artists. Like, Just listen to this list Bowerbirds, Daughter of Swords, Flock of Dimes, Generationals, Hippocampus, Joyero, Made of Oak, Molly, Sorrow, Mountain Man, Phil Cook, Sylvanessa, The Dead Tongues, and Y Oak. Come on, man. Those are your favorite bands. And they are all building something together. It is it is beautiful. It it uh is inspirational and especially during um these these weird times, it's it's important and it has been important to me to know that people are are out there doing good and they certainly are. So thanks again. And thanks to all you guys. Uh, that is it for this episode of discologist. If you like what you heard, uh, find a local arts person or organization or something and support them. If you can, whether that's with money, whether that's with donating your time, uh, do something to keep, uh, us all together, uh, during this crisis. And we will come out of it better in the end. And we'll come out of it better people in the end. And, uh, and then we can, at some point down the road, we can hug and cry and high-five and all that. So. we we'll be back in a few short days, uh, probably tomorrow, talking with uh, Chris Rosenau. He's sort of up in that mix as well. Uh, bands like Pele, uh, collections of colonies of bees right here in Milwaukee, and the aforementioned Rosenau and Sam Bourne album. So hang tight for that. Uh, until then, be good to yourself, be good to your ears, and be better to your people. We will talk to you soon.
1: <laughs> Kenobi <laughs>